everybody and welcome. And this is the Midnight McBride Show, episode number 28. And this week's show is called The Truth About Bodybuilding. The reason I've called it that is we've got a guest on the show today, very lucky, a former Mr. UK, Mr. Britain, a man that plays, which most people probably don't know, instrumental guitar and released several albums. He also chases tornadoes, he's a powerlifting champion and now an author of a book called The Truth About Bodybuilding. Welcome, Stuart Cosgrove. Thanks for having me. Yes, Stuart. So I knew who you were, I've known for a long time. I remember many years ago when I was really into bodybuilding, I used to get Flex magazine and all this kind of thing and I remember seeing in the Bolton Evening News that there was a guy from Bolton who was winning competitions, you know, a, a serious contender and a big guy at that, one of the heavyweights and Stuart Cosgrove, yeah, so I'm absolutely delighted to have you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, for lots of reasons. One, because I'm generally bringing people on the show that are from Bolton, so I think it's really good to, we don't realise, but in Bolton we've got a lot of, a lot of talent in Bolton for mm. For lots of different reasons. We've got a lot of champion fighters in Thai boxing, boxing, various other sports, yeah. champion bodybuilders, a lot of authors. And I'm sort of promoting that, you know, what we have in Bolton, there's a lot of talent here. Mm. But also, I wanted to talk about certain topics that you've actually just written about recently as well in your book. You're a highly qualified man as well. And in physiotherapy, and you've taught all over the world. But also, you have some talents that I would have never known about. For example, you've now released four albums with instrumental guitar. Now, you couldn't really have two more opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> but I suppose it's... I, we talked about this in the pre-show chat where some people, when you have the correct mindset and they're put in any circumstance and whatever they do, they will do their best at. They're pretty fearless and they'll give it 100%. And quite often, I used an example of Idris Elba that had done a professional Thai boxing fight and he'd been a DJ and he'd done modelling and he'd done some music and been in a music video and then he became an actor and he's, he's done all these other things. Mm. And Jason Statham, again, maybe not the best example, but he was an Olympic diver mm. and then he became a model, then he became an actor. Certain people will excel no matter what situation they're put in they'll think, right, I'm going to really give this a shot. I'd say you're one of those people. <laughs> you're a man of many talents. So, Stuart, we'll start the beginning, and we talk about somebody's journey, and I've probably talked enough now. I talked for the first five minutes of the show. Initially, everybody will probably know you from your bodybuilding, which you then turned and put that into other elements of your career, the physiotherapy and so on. I also recently found out as well that you had been on another podcast pump pump media that's right that's isn't right, it yeah. yeah and it was a relatively short show about 45 minutes and i could see you were twitching you had a lot more to say <laughs> so yeah, yeah i thought that we'd give you the opportunity to do that and we can talk yeah. about lots of things yeah so Stuart, we'll start at the beginning bodybuilding how did you get into it i know you started very young didn't you yeah, funny enough, you know, um, going way back to my early teenage years, um, I mean, I'm not particularly tall. I mean, I, I probably peaked at about five foot eight, yeah. probably shrunk a bit now with we, age. I had a joke about that with you. And I, I thought, 
Maybe you're yeah. a bit big to be teasing, but yeah, yeah. the fact that you weren't that big and so although you were a powerlifting champion, a yeah. deadlift champion, that you are squatting champion. That's right, yeah, isn't squatting it? Squatting yeah. champion, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. I'd seen a picture of you as well recently where your legs are just ridiculous, the size <laughs> of them, but that you didn't have to live it that far off the floor, you know, because, <laughs> because of your size. It's all down to leverage as well, but yeah, uh, yeah there's a. I yeah, just tease. I know you. what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> so, well, that's actually how it started yeah. off. Yeah, I was um, had a bit of an inferiority complex because all my mates were reaching puberty before me. You see, so I was about thirteen, and um, <clears throat> and I thought, and one of my friends actually started weight training for his rugby, and he took me along to this gym. Uh, by this time, I'm about fif- fourteen, fifteen. And it was a gym called uh, Bolton Hell Studio. I know it well. You know it well. Ken Heathcote. Ken Heathcote. I used to yeah, go. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I went down there and he took me into the dungeon at the time. Yeah. So underneath, um, I mean, the, t- the top floor was nice carpeted gyms, you know, yeah. where all the ladies and the, uh, we, we call them keep fitters. It's a bit derogatory that because I understand it's, you know, there were some really fit guys in there. But we, he took me into the dungeon where all the bodybuilders trained and I heard all this grunting and groaning. And I looked at him, I thought, Wow, that's amazing. So I saw a guy called um, Gordon Pascal, yeah. who's a, a long-time friend of mine who has a gym in Charlotte, <clears throat> and uh, he kind of inspired me, along with seeing in the American magazines. I picked up a couple of American magazines, so Arnold. Yeah, this was the and era Frank of Gold, yeah, yeah, Gold's Gym and all that, wasn't it? That's Frank, right. I always... I'd seen these magazines and for me, as amazing as Arnold was for lots of reasons, because he changed the map of the sport completely, Mm. didn't he? You know, and how he posed and everything. But Franco Colombo, pound for pound, was the strongest man on the planet. He was the strongest bodybuilder, yeah. 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 He probably, in fact, I don't really know of anybody stronger pound for pound. There might be one or two about, but... Because he was um, tiny. Oh, he was only, um, well, he was five foot three, I think. And he he only weighed, well, he competed at under 200 pounds. So he was deadly, I saw him deadly lift 750 pounds for three reps yeah at that weight and so that's 14 stone you know a lot of people don't know that he was uh, a boxing champion prior to that he was a sardinian boxing champion i yeah, believe yeah yeah, yeah 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 i always remember in pumping iron the movie where franco colombo goes back <clears throat> to his village yeah. and i think it's a bit of a stump but again to move the car because <laughs> it's in the way yeah. <laughs> that's right that's right i remember it well yeah yeah, yeah. so I, yeah so things like that um then that inspired me you know yeah. Uh, but basically, the inferiority complex came about because all of my mates were shooting up and I thought, well, if I can't grow up, I'm going to grow out a bit, you yeah. know. So, And I always wanted to be – up to that point, I was actually pretty athletic and um, really good at sports and that. But then they started to overtake me because they started to go up, shoot up physically, and, and I thought, how can I keep up with these guys, you know. So I turned to the weights, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well – We'll, we'll talk about this after because there's there's lots of aspects I'd like to talk about. But one of them is that when you start out in bodybuilding, quite often you're in a different weight category. And most men, I think some of it's, you know, it's the kudos, but you want to be in that heavyweight category. And, and you did. That's where you ended up, isn't it? You know, in the, yeah. in the really big guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really ironic, really, because I, when I started out, I was really lightweight. I was, um, I was your literal, literal skinny weakling in a way, although I was fit. And quite muscular. I was very thin, you know. Yeah. Uh, I was about nine stone then, about sixteen year old, and um, and then I managed to more than double my body weight eventually. Yeah. It took me a long time. It took me fifteen years to achieve that. Yeah. I was no natural, should we say? I, I really had to work hard for every every ounce yeah. I gained. 
What's the guy called now who's the current Mr. Olympia? Phil? Um, that's Phil Heath, yeah. Phil Heath, yeah. yeah. This actually, is, he's, it's a, he, he lost the title, actually, to a guy called Brandon Curry. Just, um, oh, this year? He might be, I've, so I've heard he might be back in the uh, in the reckoning. In right. fact, apparently this next Olympia could be the the most decorated lineup ever. I think there might be as many as four or five previous Olympia winners all vying for the titles. And I think right, Phil right. Heath might be in the mix. Yeah. The, the reason why I mentioned him is because yeah. other bodybuilders refer to him and say how lucky he is because the he can just put him. Yeah, because yeah. he can just put muscle on without yes putting the years in like everybody else yeah. had to, you know. That's a genetic mutation. Yeah. That's I talk about that in the book actually. Yeah. Um because and this is this is where a lot of people go wrong. Uh, when they're looking at the internet and they're following these top professional bodybuilders and they're trying to emulate them by doing their routines and that, and they don't realise that these guys have a genetic mutation and um, and, they're, and, they're, and they're gifted. Yeah. And no matter what kind of resistance training they did, they would achieve muscle gains, you know. There's a, there's a movie called Generation Iron, I think it's called, yeah. and yeah. they interview a lot of the top bodybuilders in there. Mm. And there's one with dreads, I can't remember his name now. Um, yes. They thought he might take the title off Phil Heath. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. But they all said that, yeah, Phil Heath did sort of like, that he, and I'll swear a little bit, but he like pissed them off a bit because they had to work twice as hard as he did. You know, yeah. Branch Warren was saying, you know, this guy was trained for five hours a day, got <clears> up in the morning and, yeah. and Phil Heath sort of yeah. just mosey on in from nowhere and yeah. took the title in two or three years. Well, there's a, there's a famous saying actually from Dorian Yates, mm -hmm. um, We'll go on to doing in a, in a bit, but um, I think it was a snowstorm that it, uh, occurred in New Jersey. I think they were going to be competing together or guest sporting together. There's a guy called Flex Wheeler, yes, who was very, very similarly gifted genetically, and Dorian Yates got held up in the same hotel and they became quite pally. And um, and Dorian said to Flex there, he said, "You'll never become Mr. Olympia." Because he was the next Mr. Olympia elect, but Dorian said, "You'll never become Mr. Olympia unless you put." my head on those shoulders and he made yeah. a point really that he had the mindset but flex didn't have the mindset but could have done it if it had been yeah uh, of dorian's inclination yeah. you know because what i've read of dorian and we'll talk about dorian after and there's a reason we'll talk about him because you're connected with him strongly for many years because you were his physio yeah. yeah yeah but with dorian they said he was definitely not one of the most naturally gifted and genetically no. gifted bodybuilders no. but he, he just worked twice as hard and did it intelligently and that's mm. So, so I've read. So tell us about maybe the first time you won something because you started winning at an early age, didn't you? I did, yeah. I, I worked hard while I was in the um, uh, sixth form at school and I managed to compete in the under-18s in the North West Britain, my first competition, and, uh, and managed to win it, but probably because the, the line it wasn't very good, <laughs> more, <laughs> more the reason. But, uh, yeah, at least I managed to win it. So that gave me a taste for wanting to compete and striving me on, driving me onwards, you know. If when you set off on a path and very early on you start to win and you get some positive feedback and you then, you think, oh, maybe I can do this. Mm. Some people have to lose 10 times before they win. You were on the winning path straight away, you know. Yeah, so, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so you obviously want to try to emulate that each time. Um, but I also knew that it was a long, hard road upwards because I was looking around at all the other bodybuilders and realising I was on the bottom rung of the ladder yeah. as a junior. Because in those days, you used to do the juniors, and then the next step up was the novices, and then the next step up was the misters. So we always strive to become, eventually, a mister, which, in a way, like you mentioned, was the heavyweight category. Yeah. 
And so I always had that as my end goal. But I just set myself little goals along the way, you know. I think some people in the mind think that you can go out there, take whatever you need to take, and within two mm. or three years you're winning competitions and yeah. you're, you're at a top level. And yeah. to get in the heavyweight division mm. and win, you know, Mr. UK, Mr. Britain, yeah. and to Mr. Universe, it, it's a decade. It's a 10-year path, isn't it, you know, really for most? And, and that's right. And do you know something? I think that's the reason why these days... Uh, the level of bodybuilding at the amateur level is is way down on what it was uh, during the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. Uh, because I think people want that easy route. I think I think the trouble is that, you know, drug taking in bodybuilding is more prevalent across the board these days than it was in my day. Yeah. There's very few. And, um, and they just think it's an easy way. And, of course, you don't get up to that level unless you put that effort in and your diet and nutrition – you know, yeah, and then you've package, got some good it? genetics, yeah. the whole package. It's like yeah. sleep, people don't, you've yeah. got to sleep, you've got to rest, yeah. you've got, you know, it's, you've got to do it intelligently. You, you do, know? yeah. What makes me, you'd see people in a gym, lots of lads now, which is very mm. common, and they don't do legs, for mm. example. So mm. they look fantastic, but they never take the tracksuit pants off. That's right. You know, because they've got legs like my sticks and stuff. And it's That's all right. about uh, ego and you know, impressing the girls and, yeah, and yeah. doing whatever, but it's they're not really doing the sport correctly. Yeah, no. You know, they're not... There's yeah. a picture in my gym, actually, I've got up, and it's a great big picture, and it shows a guy with a massive upper body and ridiculously thin <laughs> pipe cleaner legs, you know, yeah. and, the, and the caption over it is, do not be this guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I remember in Arnold's days, there was a guy called uh, Tom Platts, yeah. wasn't there? And they yeah. reckon he had sort of the strongest legs in the world at the time. Yeah, yeah. I reckon you would have given him a run for the money, though, wouldn't you? <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. You did uh, 500 pounds for 23 reps, which is fairly good yeah. going. And they were what you call... Uh, proper you know, deep squats bum oh, to yeah. heel oh, yeah. bum to yeah. ankle squats weren't they right yeah. right down touching yeah. the most I ever did was 600 for 12 but you know he was like you say he was right down you know yeah, yeah. So. But, he, but he did have a relatively proportioned body he was a oh, you know, yeah. his upper yeah. body was big too and he, you know yeah. he, if that's the look you go for he Phenomenal. was good yeah. Yeah. yeah so this career path then obviously if you're going to take it seriously and you're going to make a career out of it and become proficient and good in the art of bodybuilding, then you need to learn about the body. Mm. And this sparked your interest into physiotherapy. It did, yeah. Yeah. Did. So you then went to Salford? I went to Salford Uni, yeah, that's yeah. right. And I qualified in 1982. And was this a degree? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, they, t they kind of call it a diploma, but it's, it's equivalent, it's a degree. Yeah. yeah. Maybe tell us what the letters mean then, because they're on the front of your book, aren't they? Right, the yeah. MCSP and SRP. That's right. Well, we were under the umbrella of the HCPC, which is the, uh, it used to be called the Health Professions Allied to Medicine. So in order for, for us to be under that banner, we, we have to be state registered. So it, the, the letters stand for a member of the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy, yep. state registered physiotherapist. Right. And we've got protected status. So in order to be a physiotherapist, you have to have those qualifications. So nobody else can use the title physiotherapist. Right. Do we, I, I remember there were certain career paths that were never really taken that seriously when I was younger. And now they're considered to be a very good career path and can be very profitable. And one of those is being a optician. Yeah. And another one is being a physiotherapist. It can yeah. be a, a really, really good, successful and financially rewarding career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very rewarding, yeah. 
Yeah. I think in, in certainly in Bolton or in the Northwest and perhaps in England, because of some of the clientele you've had, which we'll talk about, that yeah. your name's synonymous with that now. You're at the top end of this profession. Yeah, it's, well, it's really nice that, I mean, obviously, it's not for me to say, but, you know, you just strive to do your best. And I've always, I've always enjoyed helping other people uh, with regard to the physical uh, needs, you know, and, and rehabilitation, things like that. And that's what drove me forward. Obviously, the, you know, the muscle wanting to know more about muscles and how they worked and that, but also um, trying to um, help other people in in, in dire need, uh, rehabilitation-wise. Yeah. That's a common theme with this show. There's lots of people on here that have, some have been through trauma and some have, have and or also been very successful, but what they all do generally is help other people, which is what you do. Yeah. You know, you're, you're helping people hopefully yeah. gain some knowledge uh, about, if they're doing a certain sport, because if you do bodybuilding for any period of time and you don't do it correctly and in a correct manner, yeah. you're going to get injured, aren't you? you know? Yeah, that's right. To. And yeah. if you do it correctly, you're still probably going to get injured. But that's right. You can, yeah. you know, Absolutely. reduce that limit. Yeah, that's and, that, and there's a chapter in the book devoted to that. Yeah, I think that's yeah. really important that that point you mentioned that um, when you look at some bodybuilding training styles these days, you know, it does leave a lot to be desired and. They might get away with it while they're young, but it yeah. soon it soon catches up with them. I, I mean, I I noticed, I my technique improved over the years because I used to bodybuild to a degree. I got to about sixteen stone, which was probably mm -hmm. as heaviest I got. But I was pretty trim with it as well. You That's know, good, yeah. about four stone heavier than I am now. I'm twelve stone now, and I've got flabby bits. You <clears> know, so I was in reasonable shape. So I thought, but my cardio was terrible. Yeah. You know, I was all about how I looked yeah. at the time. Exactly, you know, and yeah. being strong. Mm. You know, I wanted to be mm. strong. When you started off in this career, physiotherapy, you didn't initially have your own practice, did you? You were working for the NHS for yeah. eight, nine years. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. I overlapped. I, I started, um, I, so I, I qualified in 82. By the time of, uh, 1987 came along, I did have a part-time practice. Uh, up till then, I'd be working at a sports injury clinic and full-time in the NHS as well, doing all the... The disciplines, really, yeah. going, going through the How games. did you manage with your training as well? Did you make, Obviously, you, you're yeah. probably working during the day, training at night, and That's right, not yeah. much room for anything else. That's right. I was training. Yeah, fortunately, in 1987, I managed to get a part-time um, senior position at Bolton uh, General Hospital. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, I was working on the psychiatric unit, but as a physiotherapist. Right. So right. I was part-time there in the morning. So that enabled me to train in the afternoon, and then I had a clinic at night, a private clinic at night. I don't socialise very often. I do occasionally, but in all my free time, I'm fulfilling my passions, you know. And I think people that have a passion, generally that that is their social life. That is, it has, has to be integrated into your life, doesn't it, to make it, does. it work, to yeah. put that time in. So it's all about just, you know, you, you, scheduling. Yeah. And, and I'm a big one for scheduling. Yeah, yeah. time management. Yeah. I'm still time management, yeah. I'm still trying to get that down. I've still not quite got it, but I'm, no. I'm, there's yeah. never seems to be, and I like, try not to use the word time, but... Yeah. There's only a certain amount of energy we have as human beings and you've got to manage yeah. and choose carefully what you do with That's it. That's right, you know? yeah. yeah. The only trouble I've got to be careful of is this, if anything upsets my schedule, I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I've got to be careful that I don't get too upset if my schedule's interrupted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll now move on to maybe the first one of your clients we'll talk about and it's, it's a big name and it's Dorian Yates. And you were Dorian Yates's physiotherapist. Dorian Yates, by the way, if you don't know, was six or seven times Mr. Six times Mr. Olympia. Mr. Yeah. Olympia, which yeah. means he's one of the most successful bodybuilders of all time. Yeah. 
And you basically kept him kept him going, kept him being able to yeah. do these competitions, yeah. making sure that he was in peak physical condition. I did, yeah. 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 And it was an honour. Um, it, it all started off, uh, I used to write a column for Bodybuilding Monthly magazine. Um, and it was it was devoted to sports injuries. And um, one of the articles I wrote was about shoulder injuries. And Dorian's in Birmingham and I was up here. Yeah. Um, but Dorian picked up a copy, um, read me details at the bottom and then got in touch with me because he, he sustained a shoulder injury. So yeah. in those days, I think it was about 1988, 89, he came up to see me uh, in the Northwest. So we got friends, uh, managed to sort his shoulder out. And then I managed to sort him some seminars up up north. Yeah. So we got friends, but then for him think, to do them, for him to for do him to the, do the seminars, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But very soon after, as he started to rise up in the ranks of bodybuilding, because I think he just won the Britain then, or he was about to win the British title. And then of course he got more bigger and well known. Yeah. And I think that was the last time he came up to see me about that, that those years. I used to have to go and down and see him. Yeah. Then. So I used to make the trek down to Birmingham, sometimes once a week, sometimes once every few weeks. It yeah. varied, you know, depending on the injury. I suppose it was worth it because if he's on your client base and people see that, then yeah. they're going to want to come to you, aren't they? Oh, I loved it. I yeah. loved it because obviously, you know, he was, he was, we could, I could see his potential and I, I could see his mindset as well. And I could, and, and I was, I was on that ride with him really to become Mr. Olympia, you know, and yeah. it was an honour. And uh, and to be able to go down and train with him as well, well and yeah, treat him afterwards yeah. and go out with him at night and, you know, yeah. and spend a lot of time with him, it was a, it was a real honour and uh, a privilege. And we used to get on well as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people maybe don't realise that with certain sports like bodybuilding, uh, boxing being another one, <clears> and the, it's a team effort. And mm. you've got to have that full package, you know, you'll have mm. a trainer, a physio, somebody, maybe like a mentor, whichever, mm. but these people are all key elements and without yeah. them, without the right people around you, yeah. you don't necessarily succeed, you know, so... That's right. You yeah. were part of that team. I was honoured yeah. to be part of that team, I was, yeah. 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 Now, Dorian Yates now is probably, if people didn't know who he was, he's far more famous. He's been a guest on various shows, including Joe Rogan, another podcast, and also on London Real with Brian Rose. Mm. And he was one of the first people to come out and talk openly about steroids, but also to talk about ayahuasca. He took mm. ayahuasca, which I've done a show all about it on here, you know, with a friend of mine who's ex-Special Forces who suffers from PTSD. And he's decided that that's something he wants to do now. Mm. I certainly don't encourage anybody or tell anybody to do that, but I like to have an honest conversation about it and we talk about it, you know. Mm. So, Stuart, you also were the physio for Ernie Taylor, is that right? That's right, yeah. 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 So I'm assuming once you had Dorian Yates on your books, then they're going to come queuing up, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. That, that was what happened, actually, because Ernie was training at Dorian's gym. And, and he was, um, as Dorian started to finish his Olympia run, um, yeah. Ernie was kind of taking over... Um, and, and he entered in the top 10 in the world in the Olympia. I think he placed as high as seventh, I think, in the Olympia. Yeah. Uh, and then he had a major accident. Um, he f he fell off his... Well, he was actually... I think he was forced off his motorbike. No, no, sorry, he slipped on oil, I think, on his motorbike in Wales and slid... I think he slid under a car or it nearly tore his arm off, anyhow. Right. So I was doing a lot of work with Ernie at the time, yeah, and that finished his, his professional career. Career over then. Yeah. Yeah. But he did manage to go into fighting. He was into MMA... I think. Uh, I'm not sure if he's still doing it now, but um, I just lost touch with him recently. Um, but we did get him back into the gym and, and he was still a hunk of a guy and uh, still strong and, and yeah. back to fitness more or less. It was just that cosmetically his physique had changed slightly yeah. and he couldn't 
make the top ranks. I didn't know he'd had the accident. I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah. He had a major accident. Yeah, and he lost his arm. Yeah. You could tell us maybe about the story with Ronnie Coleman backstage. Oh, right, now, yeah, yeah. If you don't know, they used to call Dorian Yates the shadow because of the side of his lats, his back, wasn't he? He was huge. And also Ronnie Coleman is, even amongst super heavyweight, heavyweight bodybuilders, he's a giant, yeah, isn't he? He was, yeah. Yeah, yeah Ronnie, um, he, went, he won eight Mr. Olympias, so I think he, he equals the record now with Phil Heath, I think. Uh, or is it Lee, or Lee Haney? And I think Phil might be creeping up to that record, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, at the time, he was, uh, he was the, the mass monster, yeah, yeah. yeah. He kind of took over from Dorian. He actually has been on a couple of podcasts recently, Ronnie yeah. Coleman, and he's got a lot of problems with his, has, you yeah. know, his bones, yeah. his knees, yeah. and various other things, hasn't he? He actually yeah. has crutches, doesn't he? I think he's, I think he's off him now. I think if he just recently he's been training hard in the gym again. Yeah. I'm not sure if he's still on crutches, but he, he, his, his upper body certainly seems to be uh, coming along now. Yeah. Uh, so I think he's, he's, he's determined, Ronnie. Yeah. Very determined. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but at the time, yeah, he was in 1999. I think he was doing the English Grand Prix. And his back went into spasm, uh, so much so that it floored him. Uh, so he was lying on his back, he couldn't move. And he was the star of the show. Yeah. And Kerry Kays, a good friend of mine who was promoting the show at the time, went on the um, the PA system and said, is Mr Cosgrove in the house? Can, can he come backstage straight away? So fortunately, I was watching the show. So I went backstage to... Um, to and I was faced with the biggest back in the world <laughs> to treat yeah. Yeah. and manipulate. So... Eventually, after a number of attempts, we managed to manipulate him, and he and he stood up and ended up winning the show. Yeah, he won, didn't he? Yeah, he won, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I've seen footage of him training, and again, even next to some of the other heavyweight bodybuilders, mm. it, it, it's hard to quite get your head around how big he is. You know? Oh yeah, he was phenomenally strong, <clears throat> but he did train a little bit loosely as well. Yeah, and and I think and, and and as a lot of them did in those days. I mean, I mean, some of those professionals trained really hard in those days and really heavy but persistently heavy and hard. And um, as I talk about in the book, we, um, I talk about different styles of training and how it's so important to cycle these styles yeah. uh, because if you start to get muscle tendon damage, it doesn't always manifest straight away and then further down the line, you have an injury. And it's a warning really for, for young up-and-coming bodybuilders not yeah. to train ridiculously heavy all the time. I think this <clears> is why as well, you need to accept the fact that it's going to take a certain amount of time to put that size on, and then you can yeah. hit the weights heavy and hard, but then you can sustain what you have for a period and just let everything recover, heal, grow, then go hard again. And it yeah. is, it's been cyclical, isn't it, with bodybuilding? It is, yeah, but you know, even, even more than that, Patrick, you're right what you're saying, but there are techniques you can use to cycle, and you can still gain mm. without putting yourself under so much stress that you do tendon injuries and muscle, muscular tendon injuries, you know. Mm. And we can talk about that later on. I think a lot of people think it's all about the amount of weight on the bar. Absolutely. But you yeah. can put your bicep under more strain and and it can grow with very small weights using the correct technique, can't you? Rather than just not doing the technique properly, which is what you used to see. The guys would curl with yeah. the heaviest weight they could, but they'd be yeah. using the back. Absolutely. You know, and, and all Absolutely. this nonsense. And, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's about stricting the style up. So you're basically isolating the muscle you want to use. Yeah. And it's all to do with a, it's the technique called time under tension, which was originally postulated by a guy called Brian Johnson and a guy called Arthur Jones, who invented, invented Nautilus machines. Right. So Now, Arthur Jones is the real top 
guru. He was a bioengineer. So he had experience in engineering and biomechanical um, techniques as well. So he combined the two and produced simply the best machines there's ever been yeah. in a gym, and that's the Nautilus machine. Sadly, very few of those original Nautilus machines exist. A lot of the machines that the... The latest machines now, I don't always get on with them. I prefer no. some of the older machines, you know. The biomechanically bi um, incorrect, a lot of them. Some some of them have three or four different movements incorporated in one yeah. machine where you, mm. you know, what used to just be a bench press, you, yeah. you're twisting and all this kind of yeah. thing. And it yeah. doesn't seem to work for me. You don't get on with no, it. No, this is it, you see. Arthur Jones invented something called the DCAM, which um, made sure that the strength curve was correct for that particular movement. So by the strength curve, I mean that it exerts maximum tension at that particular range in the movement to sustain that tension in the muscle. And a lot of machines that you quite rightly mentioned today don't have that sustained strength curve. No, Sometimes the weight comes on at the wrong time and it comes off at the wrong time. So that tension's not sustained throughout the movement. Yeah, and a lot of them twist and turn and I find that... Yeah. They, they may be great for somebody that just wants to do mild strength and conditioning or toning, but if you actually want to put size on, you better have yeah. it. He wants to be simplified. Yeah. One, one movement, one, yeah. you know, this kind of thing. That's right. And this is why a lot of people go on about free weights being superior to machines. Well, they are if the machine is inferior, because and very often a lot of the modern machines are. Yeah. But the Nautilus machines weren't. I mean, the thing about bodybuilding is, um, we, t we talk about something called functional strength training now, where you're trying to train for a particular function and improve your strength in that particular area. Um, but the machines in those days were geared up for bodybuilders where they didn't need the functional strength, but they needed the focus strength to, to direct the attention, to focus on the muscle they're training. And these machines were geared up for that. And yeah. a lot of the modern ones aren't. I remember I first looking at the bodybuilding magazines and I saw them isolating muscles. And for instance, with a, a bicep curl, but using the back of your arm on the inside of your leg, and mm. isolating that muscle. And That's some right. really simple techniques yeah. where you you can focus on, on just one muscle. Mm. One That's muscle. right. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. And that's one way of um, dealing with overcoming that situation of overusing compound heavy movements all the time yeah. and creating injuries. And then you can create, instead, you can be doing in between focused training on a particular muscle group where it's isolated and you're creating tension with that muscle, doing a maybe a slow negative movement yeah. with a pause at the end. A lot of people don't kill momentum. So you'll see them using momentum uh, instead of killing momentum. So momentum needs to be killed at the opposite end of the movement. So at the top of the movement, pause, yeah. and pause at the bottom of the movement as well. So you kill momentum, and then you start that weight moving with that muscle group and not using momentum. And you, you basically, the muscle's been used in both directions, isn't it? You know, it's, it's used in both directions, yeah, what yeah. we call concentrically and eccentrically. Yeah. And the thing about the eccentric or the negative part of the movement is it, it, it's been proven to actually create isoforms of IGF in the muscle. So basically it's, it's called a mechanical growth factor. So it's a growth factor in the muscle that stimulates growth. So you can use, and, and the other thing about slow negative training is that it helps to repair tendons. So the muscle tendon junction can be helped to re be repair. But how yeah. often do you see people incorporating slow negative training into the routine instead of going heavy, heavy, heavy all the time? You don't, do you? you don't, Very do you? rare. No. No, no. And especially with a young bodybuilder, you see the strength gains and sees the size gains and think, oh, I've got to keep on barking on this. But little did they realise that the muscle tendon junction, so that's, the t that's where the muscle starts to become tendon, starts to deteriorate. 
but he gets no symptoms. And then all of a sudden, boom, either his pet goes or the yeah. bicep goes or whatever. I mean, it took me years to figure out that I'd always, for instance, if I was using dumbbells and I was bench pressing, that I could use a lighter weight, but with a, a, a better movement mm. and I could get better results than Absolutely. just picking up. Because if I picked up the really heavy weights, I Absolutely. couldn't do the exercise properly anyway. Yeah, yeah. It looked great. You know, yeah. people would think, wow, look what he's lifting. Yeah, yeah. But the exercise, the movement, the training I was doing was rubbish. That's right. You know, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Stuart. So we'll talk about some of your accolades, <laughs> some of the things you've won. And there's a lot of things we've got to talk about, which include, we're going to get into tornado chasing and you're playing the guitar and, and being an author now and lots of other things. But we'll start off with the bodybuilding and tell us the titles you won. And I didn't realise, I knew you'd won some titles in the UK, but you'd also competed abroad and you competed in Mr. Universe, which is top end, you know, fantastic. So maybe tell us those. Um, well, when I won that junior title when I was 18, just under 18, it took me another couple of years to win the junior Mr. Britain at Northwest Britain. That was uh, when I was 20. So two years later, I won that. Then I managed to win the Northwest Novice and then eventually uh, the Misters. Yeah. So then when you become a Mister, you, you feel like, oh, at least I've, I've made it to a degree. Um, so, and I managed to win the Mr. UK in 1987 and that qualified me for the Mr. Britain. And um, I made a big mistake at the Mr. Britain. So I qualified for the Mr. Britain. That was 1988. Yeah. And all the lads in my gym who were all spurring me on, or so they thought, um, gave me the biggest uh, waste of advice I've ever had, actually, because just before that I did compete in the Mr. Britain, they'd seen a guest poser. And the guest poser was a guy called Graham Corner. And he was looking to become the next Mr. Britain or, yeah. you know. And he looked fantastic and he looked... Now, on, when you see somebody on stage under the lighting, they look massive. And they look, and so these guys came back in the gym and said, oh, we've just seen this guy, Graham Corner. He's, he's a monster. He's twice as big as you. you there's no way you're going to beat him. So that was the, <laughs> that was the, the inspiration to try. But, so what I did wrong then was I, I, did, I, over, I overcarbed up. So I, I went in the, in the, um, into Mr. Britain smooth. See, that's... That's and, the mind game. And, I, was the mind in, and yeah. I stood on stage and I were actually bigger than him. But if I'd have been as, and he beat me, but yeah. if I'd have been as conditioned as him, I would have beaten him. Sa Sandy said something, you know, when he was on the show that he'd only ever had one fight that he didn't win. Mm. And it was, his head wasn't in the right place. But you no, know, he, he was the same fitness level, the same skill, technique, everything that he always has when he went into a fight. And he should have won the fight. Yeah. But he was psyched out. Somebody said, oh, you're not yeah. fighting him, are you? Yeah. And, and his head That's went. It. That's right. <laughs> you know, and, and so that was a lesson learned, yeah. Uh, yeah. If your head's not in the right place, I know with Ironman that uh, I set off, I talk about it, where we were doing the swim. And there's a couple of people from Bolton Triathlon Club with me, and some of them far, far fitter than I am. I mean, you know, a different level. Uh, but one of the guys who was fitter than I was didn't make it out of the water. He was tense. He got in the yeah. water, got cramp, and... That was the end of his Ironman. Now, yeah. he would have beat the pants off me time-wise and mm. everything else fitter, but his head wasn't in the right place. Mm. I went in very relaxed. Everything went wrong, mm. but I just took it in my stride. So it's 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 a big part of it. That's yeah, right. It's a head yeah. game, isn't it? Yeah. You know? yeah. So you have to overcome them obstacles. So 
of course I was, you know, that, that day, um, I, I think I walked, it was at Blackpool and I, I walked up Blackpool Prom and I think I went into every hamburger joint on the way up to the <laughs> Pleasure Beach. And I love roller coasters. That's another of my hobbies. I'm in a roller coaster club. Right. And uh, I love... That's not in your show notes. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. I should have re- I should remember. <laughs> so I, I was aiming to go on the rides at the Blackpool Pleasure. When I got there, I was that stuffed and my belly were that big. I couldn't go on any rides because <laughs> I was just trying to drown my sorrows, as it were, with, with food. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you dust yourself down and you get back in the gym and you yeah. you don't listen to the lads in the gym again. The biggest lesson you learn is is when you you don't succeed or you, mm. you don't complete the task you think you're going to. I yeah. When I was doing my running and doing the ultra running, every race I've ever set off to complete, uh, I may not, you know, may break any world records, but yeah. I finish. I always yeah. finish. Yeah. And there's one race I didn't finish. And I learned more from that than yeah. all the rest. You know, so why didn't together. you not finish? Well, I set off and the week before, you're not supposed to go and run 50 miles a few days before you do a 100-mile right. race. Yeah, yeah. But I don't listen to anybody. And I just, <laughs> On the Sunday, I ran, I ran the back 50 miles of a 100-mile race because yeah. it was going to be at night, so yeah. I wanted to try that. Yeah. And I did that five days before I set off to do the 100. Yeah. But it was boggy, so I tore my feet to bits. And then yeah. when I set off on the main race, I did the first 50 miles, yeah. but my feet were under pressure. And I thought I could finish, but yeah. I knew there'd be a big price to pay. I probably like wouldn't be able to run again that season. So, yeah. so I decided yeah. to pull the plug yeah. on it. But That's sensible, yeah. I was devastated yeah. afterwards, yeah. you yeah. know, because... Yeah. But I had to dust myself off, put myself back together and start again. So a lesson in preparation then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lesson in... Yeah, just common sense, really. Common sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. a big lesson was at least what I did is I made the decision because I didn't want to. Where I thought I'm going to stop. Yeah. You know, this is going to result in a bad injury if, yeah. I, if I finish this race. Yeah. So yeah, that was hard lesson. You know. Yeah, but. that's right. Yeah, yeah. So the universe. Yeah. Um, so I qualified for the universe, and um, that was in the one that I got fourth was in Italy. And um, does it not make? I mean, saying that now, does it not make you? feel good because fourth in Mr. Universe, that's incredible. It does, but you know something, I weren't satisfied because I felt like I could have done better because um, all the guys in the team were saying, oh, you should have been second there or whatever, you know. And I looked back at some of the pictures and I, and the guy that beat me was probably about two stone less than me. Um, but he had a tiny waist and that was always my problem. I, the, the thing that held me back was I was a little bit blocking the way, even when I was in condition, Yeah. I was a bit blocking the waist, and I put it down to all my squatting and deadlifting. My obliques had thickened up, and thing is know. that you could put that down to genetics. Some people yeah. have a very it's, thin it waist, it's genetics, don't they? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, we're not talking about being fat or having any no, weight. It's no. just that is the diameter of my waist. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know. So it made me realise my, my limitations. The other thing that made me realise my limitations was when I was training with Dorian, and yeah. I was I was like nineteen and a half stone, and he's twenty three stone, like you know, even less body fat than I was, you know, yeah. and he was just a monster, you know. Yeah, he was, the, and I felt like a little lad. <laughs> he was one of the first bodybuilders. They said they called him the shadow, like they said, and he came along, and. He then lifted the bar. He, he changed it because he all did. these bodybuilders that were 19, 20 stone, he was three, yeah, yeah. four stone heavier than him. Yeah, in Bigger. the off-season, yeah. yeah. And he wasn't yeah. He wasn't taller yeah. than him. But the thing about Dorian was that he, he wasn't just a mass monster. He, his conditioning was, when he hit his peak, was phenomenal. And he had that granite look. And a lot of that yeah. look is down to the way he trained as well, you know. Yeah. I- I've seen him when he's when he's comping, yeah. and he you know he's obviously shedded. He's down to a few percent body fat, yeah. and his jaws ripped. Yeah, 
Do you know yeah, what I mean? Even his right. jaw's ripped. That's right. You know, you can see yeah. the s- strands of muscle in his yeah, jaw. Yeah. But you know something I've seen, a lot, a lot of people know this. There is one video, uh, which I didn't, I, I actually took the video, but somebody else put it on YouTube and it shows him three weeks before the Olympia in 93. And he's weighing 19 and a half stone. And he should have competed just a few pounds lighter than that, but knowing Dorian, he carried on dieting down and down because he, he had to be sure his condition was spotting. And he could have gone in over 19 stone. And he's phenomenal. He's got fingers in his lower lats and his, yeah. his condition is phenomenal. And there's there's only about four people seeing him in that condition and fortunately I'm one of them. Mm. And he should have competed like that really. So people thought he were monstrous in 93. He could have been even bigger. You also, Stuart, besides bodybuilding, went into the heavy stuff. So you were squatting and you were winning competitions yeah. in this as well. Yeah, it was a bit of a sideline because really, I'd always been, I'd always liked and prided myself on being a strong bodybuilder. And I did have a, a leaning towards powerlifting and um, I did have some powerlifting friends who, who, um, who really tried to urge me to compete in the British Championships, you know. Yeah. I never actually did it in the official powerlifting, but instead I did... We used to call, there were some side events called Ironman. Actually, ironically, it's called the Ironman event, but it's for lifting in those days. And we used to do a series of lifts, um, gym lifts, really. We used to do squat, deadlift, bench press, uh, chins, dips. And we used to use seven events, six or seven events. So did you have to do well in all seven to win or was each event separate? No, you had to combine your total score. Oh, right. So you can't just be very good at squatting and win. No, that's right. Ah. Yeah, you had to be good at everything. Well, you have to be kind of an all-rounder, really. Yeah. But I used to um, try and set the records in the squat, you know, at the time. So somebody then urged me to compete in the... the, um, There there was a, a... um, a bodybuilding federation that also did powerlifting as a bit of a sideline, and they used to run these um, heavyweight lifting competitions for repetitions. Yeah. So they organised the bench press and the squatting competition. So I did the squatting competition. I did it for a, you know, a couple of years, I think. And this is so what I won did the UK squatting competition. Yeah. reps. Yeah. I did. T- yeah. Apparently, officially, they, they scored me eleven, but I, I know I definitely did twelve. But <laughs> they only counted eleven. I don't know. Maybe the twelve wasn't deep enough yeah. or something. I don't know. But you still won with the eleven. I won with the eleven. Yeah. 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 At this point, then, Stuart, this is where you you then start to have your own gym for the first time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Where, where was that? It was in Allerton, so it's right next to the railway station. Yeah. It's still a gym now. I still I still own the building and I rent it out to an old training partner of mine called Brian Goddard. Um so he runs a gym there. And he actually calls it the gym. Yeah. Uh but before it, ninety eight I built the place with a guy called Steve Knight. Yeah. He was the builder. And um so I built the gym in ninety eight. And um three weeks away from opening, uh Barclays Bank decided to come along and pull the plug on my mortgage. So right. I had no money. Yeah. So I nearly lost it. But fortunately, Steve at the time, Steve Knight, decided to do a private mortgage with me and we managed to just get it up and running. Yeah. But I was successful for till, uh, when I had it for 12, 11 years, I think. Again, if everybody that was into bodybuilding yeah. always wanted to go to a gym where there was somebody that either owned it or trained there that had yeah. been, you know, a name. So yeah. you open that gym and people are going to come and train there, aren't they? You That's know? right. Yeah. But you know something? One of the, another reason I opened it was because I want, at the time, there was hardly any women doing weight training. Yeah. And I wanted to encourage women, especially women going through osteopenia and osteoporosis, uh, I wanted to encourage them to uh, to weight train for health reasons. 
as well as yeah. obviously uh, you know condition. And the t- at the time, no women were doing; they were just doing aerobic classes and dieting, and really not. They didn't realise that in order to condition themselves properly, they needed that extra resistance training. See, I think in those days, I remember, and I'm not sure if I got the name right, it was Corrie Evans, was it? Corrie Everson. Everson. And Brilliant, yeah. She she won it 10 or 12 oh, times, the yeah, competition. Yeah. And, yeah. But although she was muscular, she wasn't as big as some of the Still female feminine. body. Yeah, yeah, she looked beautiful. She did, yeah. Yeah, really, she was, really yeah. attractive. Yeah, I, met, uh, I, met, I met her actually and her, and her husband, yeah. Right. At one of the Olympias, yeah. Because she was... I suppose, even more successful than sort of your Arnold Schwarzenegger's in the female division. There was nobody really... Yeah, she's the equivalent, yeah. She, you know, she yeah. was... A lot of people don't know who she is if you weren't into yeah. that scene. Yeah, that's right. she was incredibly successful, wasn't she? She was, yeah. But yeah. I don't think the women got anything like the money the men did. No, they didn't. You know, no, they didn't in always those days. A sh- it's the same yeah. in most sports, isn't it? That's you right. Know, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. With your physio, you've got this career and you start off and you're going giving talks. Maybe talk us a bit through the path you went down and then we'll end up in India, believe it or not, folks. As I got more involved with the sports uh, rehabilitation and uh, sports therapy, I I started to uh, lecture um, and eventually I was invited to lecture on the master's degree course at Bolton University for strength and conditioning. Um, It was a prime interest of mine anyhow. Um, but I used to do bodybuilding seminars, but I also used to lecture at, I, d- I did some um, lecturing at Total Fitness to fitness instructors. Yeah. Really to just um, give them another kind of uh, view of uh, strength and conditioning, you know, um, other than the one they were probably taught and brought up with. I suppose you, you, you'd had the experience, you comp, so they're going to listen to what yeah. you have to say. Yeah. You're qualified as well. You're the full package. Yeah. 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 I think that's, I think it's really important that what you just said. Um, you know, it's important to have been there and done it. Yeah. And I think you've got to speak from experience because if you've not, it's difficult for somebody to uh, to take your advice, no matter how much knowledge you have, you know. Yeah. So I tried to combine the two. And obviously physiotherapy drove me into bodybuilding, really. And uh, uh, and I'm glad to be able to also have used bodybuilding in my physiotherapy career as well, you know. So then I, and I had um, a few alliances with some top surgeons as well. There's one particular guy called Len Funk, he was, he was a top shoulder specialist um, in this area and the country as well, well-recognised throughout the world, and he organised a world shoulder conference. Yeah, see, that um, doesn't even... You don't, it doesn't sound like a real thing, doesn't it? No, Do it you? doesn't, no, no. <laughs> but and it's, the world shoulder conference. I think that was in 2009, I think I did that, and he invited me on the faculty for that. So I was lecturing to... Um, quite daunting, actually. I was lecturing to 400 top specialists from around the world and top physios from around the world and uh, being careful not to put a foot wrong and then being questioned about it and then doing a practical on the Saturday as well. So And it's funny, really, but I seem to go into a bit of a zone there. Um, you know, I, I remember, um, uh, you know, praying about it and just... And and this, this kind of inner calm came over me. And I don't... Looking back now, I don't know how I did it, but it, I just seemed to be able to take everything in my stride then. Um, so I think it's important to be be calm and collected and not get too aerated about things. Yeah. When, you, when you, I think it's important to breathe in techniques as well is important yeah. when you're in such a situation where you could get flustered. Yeah. Um, but I totally enjoyed the experience. And afterwards, one of the um, American surgeons that gave me a good grilling on the platform come and bought me a drink and said, thanks for answering my question. Yeah, well, you've been questioned by people that in theory are the, you know, oh, yeah. the, the top yeah. boffins in yeah. this field. Yeah. And... And showing them how it's done. 
Do you know, the only thing I had to think about was, because when this guy asked me a question that was really out of my comfort zone, I had to steer him back to my comfort zone. And I thought, right, I'm on, on here uh, uh, discussing this particular subject. And it was kind of a, a narrow field within shoulder therapy. And I thought, no, I'm the expert here. And I literally had to think about think that way for me to have the guts to answer him in, yeah. a, in a, an authoritative way, you know. Yeah. Uh, but well, I managed to hold my ground, well, you did fortunately. It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, did it, yeah. Stuart. When I read your show notes, I was, this one particular, well, there's several elements that, like, you know, really made me stop me in my tracks. But this one in particular, where you ended up with the free house in India. I think you need to tell us that story. All right. Well, yeah. Well, my wife at the time and myself decided she was always searching for the sun. She loved her uh, tropical holidays and that. And so she said, well, what about going to India? So I said, okay, I will try it. You know, I didn't mind careers and everything like that. Yeah. So we went to Goa. And at the time, it was starting to get a bit busier. It's a bit commercialised now, but at the time, it was very quiet. Yeah. And not very many, many Westerners went, and it was just starting to build up. So we decided to go to Goa. And and we got this uh, lovely hotel, lovely beach, and, and we were well looked after by this guy in this shack on the beach. He used yeah. to bring me fresh fish every day, and we were... Lovely, you know, sunbathing there one day, and then I just, I just happened to notice. I turned on my front, and I just happened to notice behind us, about hundred yards, not maybe not hundred, fifty yards behind, this sand dune, and this head kept popping, popping up over this sand dune, and I thought, and I'm looking, I thought we're being spied on. So I said to John, <laughs> I said, hey John, we're being spied on. Next news, two heads popped up, then three, then four, and it. About a dozen heads popped up on this sand dune and they're all staring at me like this and I thought, I'm going to try to be, you know. And then um, eventually it got so so many of them that one of them must have plucked up courage and come over and said, uh, excuse me, excuse me, uh, we don't see many people your size over here. Says, what do you do to get like that, you know? <laughs> so I, I didn't realise, you see, not, not many people over there yeah. um, had been introduced to bodybuilding. Yeah. It was it was new to him, and and I was the first kind of Western decent sized bodybuilder they'd seen, you know, and nobody ever seen a twenty inch arm before or anything like that, you know. No. So they're like, wow, what's what's going on, you know? So they all surrounded me, and then they found out what hotel. So I just started chatting to them, and then I kind of sent them on the way, but they found out what hotel I were at, and then a couple of days later, forty of them turned up, and literally kidnapped me. <laughs> and they, I mean, they kidnapped me in a nice way. They didn't, they didn't. <laughs> but one of them said, will you please, please, they pleaded with me to come down to the gym. Yeah. So I hopped on the back of this guy's scooter and, uh, uh, you know, and then 40 of us trundled off to this gym, all on scooters and cars and stuff. Yeah. And in the gym, they had this, the most antiquated equipment you could imagine, you know, really. And it were all dog-eared and the, the, the cables were breaking and the dumbbells were all broken and everything. But we managed to, you know, teach them a few exercises and yeah. give them a bit of advice on diet. And I thought nothing of it. And so they dropped me back at the hotel then. So if you fast forward the next year, I came back, same thing happened on, again, only bigger. So <laughs> this time they accosted me and took me about 45 minutes drive inland. So a full I year had passed. A full I mean, year had yeah. passed. And then we turned up at Go again because we decided we loved it so much we went again. Yeah. So the same, I went to the same resort, you see. Probably a mistake, but, <laughs> but anyway, I got accosted again. And I got, this time I got took about 45 minutes inland to this yeah. bigger gym in somebody's village. And I ended up doing a seminar and they were 
there, with that many people, there must have been 200 people in this room. And they just put me on this pedestal and, and I was pausing on this pedestal and, t- and teaching them about bodybuilding techniques. Fast forward to the year after, we decided to go back to the same place again. This time, the plane landed, we met at the airport, big jumbo jet. There were a hundred of them at the airport waiting oh. for me. And I'd, I'd communicated with one guy would come in, and they were and, and the, one of the chief one of the guys in the group was a chief customs officer, and he met me as I was coming down the steps of the plane, and ushered me and Janet right through customs and beat and there were other two hundred odd people <laughs> queuing up and we just got ushered through and got, and so that time they'd organised with the sports minister of Goa, six hundred people at this seminar in Panjim Stadium, so I had Did to. Did you give, know about this? No. That's incredible. I didn't know. No, they put me in. And next news, they brought the newspaper the next <laughs> next couple of days. They brought this newspaper. I, I'm, on, I'm on front of this newspaper. <laughs> so I'm there on the front of this newspaper. And they said, right, you're doing a guest spot at Panjim Stadium and you're doing a seminar. And I said, well, well <laughs> not like this, you know, I'm on holiday. I kept pleading with them. It didn't, it fell on deaf ears. I'm on holiday. Also, I'm just on holiday. But it, they weren't listening because they were just, they just, I mean, I couldn't help it. I was just teaching them all these things, you see. Yeah. And they were lapping it up. Mm. And so in the end, it culminated by one of the doctors that used to come to the gym, who used to train as well, knew the sports minister. So he got in touch with the sports minister of Goa. So the, the sports minister comes up to me, says, if you do this seminar, we will give, give you a house. We will put you up. You can live over here. We want you, you to teach our weight trainers and, and teach our bodybuilders how to become champions. Yeah. So they, he offered me that. And I had to turn down. I was the practice was building up then, you see, and, yeah. I, and I couldn't, you know. But I said, "Very kind of you." So I just give them this this seminar, and they all clubbed together, and I think they got me hundred quids worth of something, rupees or whatever. Um, and um, you know, and but the uh, there were six hundred of them in this stadium in Panjim. That's incredible, and you didn't yeah. you didn't you rocked up and yeah, and, they, and yeah. it was in the headline news in the the newspaper. Yeah. Go on newspaper, I can't believe it. But they were really nice, you know. They were yeah. lovely people. And you couldn't help but try and help and give them yeah. advice, you know. Great story, not Stuart. I, I've been to India and I went shooting a, a movie with a friend of mine and I was sort of uh-huh. like looking after the security. Yeah. And I wasn't that big. Obviously, I was only, what, 15, 16 stone, something yeah. like this. But I got followed around. Yeah. They, and they yeah. kept going up and squeezing my arms. And yes, things. that's and I, right. And I wasn't that big. No, no. You know, I was... Yeah. You know, bigger than anybody did. So yeah, yeah. Probably, but, yeah. Um, yeah. You're like a movie star. When I you just walk got followed around yeah, all over yeah, the place yeah, with, yeah. with lads, yeah. wanting, wondering what the heck's going on. You know, yeah. and you don't think anything of it. But obviously, when you see forty lads following you around, yeah, you start I, to think. I suppose when I was a kid, a I remember bit... seeing like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Louis Fringo yeah. or somebody, and and Louis Fringo in particular, you look at him because he was a lot bigger than Arnold. Yeah, yeah. He was taller, six yeah. foot five. And, yeah. And you're like, what yeah, is yeah. that all about? How's that happen? Yeah, yeah. What's he done? Why is he so big? Yeah, yeah. And it's just the same, even though yeah. I wasn't that big, yeah. they'd never seen anything like no, that, no. not in the flesh. That's right, you know, so. you're right. Yeah. Well, I used to say to him, I said, look, you think I'm big? I've got to train with a guy over there, Dorian Yates, says, if he ever comes up. And funny enough, Dorian eventually did some seminars over there because yeah. I egged him to. I said, Dorian, you need to get over to India. They, 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 they work behind the ears, though. they need to know about it, you know. Yeah. Be- beautiful people there as well. Yeah, I, I loved the country. Yeah. I, loved it. I went to Gujarati yeah. and uh, Mumbai and yeah. loved it. Yeah. So some of your clients, Stuart, include a boxer, Ricky Hatton. Oh, yeah. Now, I know you've got some stories about Ricky, some funny stories. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let rip, go for it. Well, um, 
there's a there's a couple in particular I can think of. Um, he used to hate his physio, but he used to know he had to go through it, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, one of the particular injuries he had, um, it was um, it, it was an injury of his elbow, and there's one particular muscle on the inside of the elbow um, which shortens, and what used to happen with Ricky is when he'd be doing a jab, with the jab, you have, you suddenly hyperextend the elbow yeah. and then release it. And constant hyperextension of the elbow strains this muscle. You, like, you mean so, like Yeah, it? it's a muscle on the yeah. inside of the elbow. It's called um, pronator teres is the name of the muscle. And that muscle suddenly stretched and released. Mm. And it developed micro tears in it. Yeah. over a long period of time. But these are what we call in the physio, we'd, they'd fibrosed and got really thickened and shortened. So it meant that his reach had shortened. So he couldn't lock his elbows out. So when he was jabbing, he was about two inches short. Mm. And I was treating him for another injury at the time. And I, and I said, and I just noticed it. And I said, Ricky, just lock your arm out. And he couldn't, couldn't lock it out. And um, I said, how long have you had that? And he thought for a while, he goes, I must have had it about seven years, you know. And I said, well, how do you figure that out? He said, well, when I'm in a pub and I'm waiting for me change and they bring me my change after I've got a pint, he said, all my mates kept saying, why do you keep dipping like that? Because mm. he'd dip his shoulder like that to try and accept the change because he couldn't turn his arm over. Right. Because the pr pronator muscle actually pronates downwards. So he right. couldn't turn his hand yeah. over to receive the change. So he'd dip his shoulder down. And that's how it came about. So I started to treat that. I said, listen, we can get an extra two inches on your reach here. <laughs> That's so, what a boxer wants to hear, isn't it? What he wants to hear, yeah. yeah. So he said, go ahead. Work. I said, it's going to kill you, though. So I had to work on his elbow, and he used to crease him. Well, um, as we got nearer to the fight, it was the May I think it was the Mayweather fight, or one of the fights. Anyway, as we got nearer to the fight, um, he got Granada reports coming down and filming, you see. Yeah. So he used to come and film him. He said, can we film him actually being treated? And I said, well, I don't mind as long as Ricky's okay about it. So they brought the cameras into the treatment room. Well, he used to leave his arm on the bed and I'd be working on his arm and going through these active relief techniques and he'd be screaming in agony and he'd disappear under the bed trying to get away from the cameras. <laughs> so you just see this arm on the bed and he'd be disappeared un underneath the bed screaming. And... Um, so the cameraman decides to, to play him in his own game. So he starts to set the camera underneath the bed <laughs> and he's filming it, all his contorted face as, he, as he's screaming. And he's supposed to be this tough so, boxer yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And the guy, the guy uh, when he got back to re, uh, Grinnell reports, um, I can't remember, the, what's the girl that used to do it? Um, I've forgotten her name now. Lucy Meacock. Lucy Meacock, yeah. yeah Lucy Meacock, yeah. Lucy says... Remind me not to book an appointment there. <laughs> it's not painful, that physiotherapist, you know. Your clientele just decreased yeah. by 10% or whatever. Yeah. So moving on from that story, um, um, at the actual Mayweather fight itself, um, we was backstage. So you're, you're at this fight? I'm at the fight, yeah. They wanted, well, Ricky yeah. always used to want me there. Yeah. I always used to treat him the day before the fight, and he got into this habit. He wanted everything manipulating and releasing, and I agreed with him. I said, you, you, you need to do it. You need to be as loose as possible. Yeah. So I'd free all his joints off. I'd do his neck, his spine. I'd release his elbows, everything, you know. And um, so I'd be doing that a day or two before the fight. So I'd go over there a bit early before the yeah. fight. So this was a Mayweather fight. And the, and that fight was at uh, the Grand. Yeah. And um, so we're in we're backstage there waiting for the fight to start and he's backstage warming up. And I always used to think he used to expend too much energy warming up. But it was his way, it was Ricky's way, so 
you know, we just leave him. And I used to just be on hand just in case he there was any injuries that needed attending to, you know. Yeah. So he'd always get all blasted on there and he'd be shadow boxing and yeah. warming up. And I'm there, stood there with my arms folded, thinking, oh, crikey, mate, slow down, Ricky. He's expending too much energy. You need this energy for the... So this guy sidles up to me, this American guy, and he goes, howdy. And I just looked at him and I said, howdy. And he said, um, what's your input in the team? So I said, oh, I'm his physiotherapist. He said, oh, that's yeah. good. He says, uh, so what sort of injuries is he had? I said, well, ordinarily I won't be able to talk about it, but it, because it's been in the papers that much, everybody knows about his elbow, about getting in two inches of reach on his elbow, you know. Yeah. Well, he was intrigued by this. He said, really? How did you do that? So he was asking me all these questions. And whilst he's asking me, I'm looking at him and saying, I said, to him, I said to him, I know your face from somewhere. I said, I can't, but I can't place you. And he says, well, you've probably seen me on this. And he carried on talking. You've probably seen me on the screen. He says, so he, carried, he was so intrigued and interested, you know. Yeah. And he what a nice guy, I'm thinking. He was probably down to earth as well, you know. So I turned to him again after a couple of minutes. I goes, what's your name again? He goes, Brad, Brad Pitt. He <laughs> <laughs> was Brad Pitt. So I've been chatting to Brad Pitt. And he carries on chatting. And he pats me on the back. He goes, oh, cheers, mate. He says, that never happens to me. We, we, I always get recognised. That's the first time I've had a decent conversation with somebody and they've not known who well, I am. It's probably nice. It's yeah. refreshing. Yeah. And he calls, and Ange, Angelina Jolie calls her over. He says, hey, you, you never guess what's <laughs> happened. Like, you know. So I'm chatting to, there's three of us chatting for another 15 minutes there. You know, having oh, a right, Fantastic. Oh. So I'm asking him about, he'd, he'd made that film Troy, you know. And yeah. I said, well, you know, you look well in that. I said, what do you do for that? So he's telling me about his personal trainer and everything and what he was doing. Yeah. I, I made a mistake though. I should have given me a, it's mechanic. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. Well, in the film Snatch that he does, he's yeah. in phenomenal shape oh, yeah. in that film. Yeah. So he obviously, you know, when he's got a role and he oh, yeah. trains for it, he, yeah. I don't know who he uses or what he does, but he can yeah. get his body fat down. And, and he's, he's, obviously, he's not big. He's, no. he's just ripped. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he said they had a gym on site when they were filming Troy. Yeah. Because I think that one really was his biggest then. Yeah. Uh, not that he, like you said, not that he's a big bodybuilder or anything, no. but, he, you know, for an actor, to be yeah. able to metamorphose like that is really mm. good, you know. And he obviously worked hard at it, you know. I've seen a few guys that have lost weight for films. And oh, one yeah. is um, Matthew McConaughey has done it for a film, yeah. that, Something Cowboy. I can't remember what it's called now. Um, but he plays a cowboy that gets AIDS in that film. And he... he oh, phenomenal incredible. Thing. And, and the other one is Christian Bale. Christian in, Bale. In yes. The is it The Mechanic? It's called? Yes, or yes. The Machinist. The Machinist. Yeah, Machinist. Yeah, I've seen it. And he Brilliant goes film. down yeah. to something like seven and a half, eight stone oh, in the movie. And incredible. it's, you know... Yeah. Some of the Matthew McConaughey openly talks about the fact that he lost so much weight for that film. It took him a long time to yeah. put himself back together oh, yeah. after that. Oh, yeah. I mean, all for entertainment, but you could run the risk of damaging your immune system, going into key, key to yeah. acid, acidosis. Kidneys, liver, can, yeah, your kidneys can shut yeah. down. It's dangerous. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah. 